Welcome to Evangel Church. Our mission is to bring people into a life-changing relationship with Jesus Christ. For more information, visit us at evangelchurch.com. Pastor Rick, thank you so much this morning. Did you enjoy Pastor Rick and the worship team this morning? Amen. Sometimes when they give me the nod, I want to pretend I don't see it. So we can just keep worshiping on and on. I want to encourage you when you're leaving today, please support our youth. They are selling cupcakes for missions. We've prayed over them. We're going to believe God that there's no calories. You can speak a word of faith. Maybe God will honor it. But either way, every dime is going to go and support our youth as they go to Guatemala. Amen. I am preaching this morning because Josiah has made an appearance. So Josiah Christopher Morante was born. There's a picture of mommy and baby. They are doing great. He came home, I think, two days ago. He's doing great. He's happy at home. Everyone's healthy and good. And we are excited for him to make his appearance here with us in, in the flesh. Pastor Chris sends his regards. He thanks you for your love and for your prayers and your support. Please continue to pray with them as they adjust to a newborn. Anyone that has a newborn that comes home knows your whole life has been flipped upside down. And now they are in charge. So please pray for them that God gives them rest and grace and that he's able to be with us very soon. Amen. So today we start a new series entitled Suit Up. Suit Up. And this new series is based around studying the armor of God. And it's very important as the church that we understand the armor of God. But before we begin to understand the armor of God, we need to take a couple of steps back and begin to understand the purpose, the plan, and the positioning of the armor of God. And so as we begin to look at these things, you're going to walk away knowing the purpose, the plan, and the positioning of the armor of God. You see, child of God, when you gave your life to the Lord, the Bible says you who were once dead have now become alive unto God. So that means you were dead in your transgressions and sin, and then you became born again. That's our title, right? Your spirit now became alive. And you became a part of this cosmic supernatural world. And so in this cosmic supernatural world, you now live. You're now a part of. You see, church, when we pray, we don't play in the flesh. We don't play, pray in the flesh. We pray in the spirit. When we read the word and we speak words of life like Pastor Chris taught us last week, we don't speak them in the flesh. We speak them in the spirit. When we worship, the beautiful worship we have right now, and we lift our hands and we're singing, we're, not doing, we're doing physical acts, but they are things that are taking effect in the spirit. When I die, this body is going to become dirt again, but my spirit is going to go on and live with God forever. The spirit world is actually realer than this world. It's realer. And when you're praying, child of God, you are actually moving things in the spirit. You're actually moving things in the spirit. When you're declaring the word of God, when you're standing on the word of God, you're actually moving things in the spirit. Anybody here who's ever prayed for anything will know as you're praying, you'll feel a moment where you go, I think it happened. <laughs> but your situation didn't change. What happened was, in the spirit it happened, and now you're waiting for it to manifest in the flesh. You understand what I'm talking about this morning? And so we became a part of this spiritual world. We became a part of, the Bible says, God is spirit, 
And those that worship him must worship in spirit and truth. When we speak to God, it's a spiritual interaction. And so before we can begin to understand the armor, we need to begin to understand how this spiritual world affects me on a daily basis. Open up your Bibles this morning to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6, starting at verse 10. When you got it, say amen, so I know you got it. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. And it reads, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rules of darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand, stand therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, having covered your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, above all, taking up the shield of faith in which you were able to distinguish all the fiery darts of the wicked one, and taking up the helmet of salvation, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayers and supplication in the Spirit. In the Spirit. And so Paul is writing and he's telling the church, you now who are born of the Spirit, you now who are now part of this supernatural world, be strong in the Spirit. Be strong in the power of God's might. Another way of saying that is be a force to be reckoned with in the Spirit. Be a force to be reckoned with in the spirit. Understand that you are now part of this colossal spiritual world and you need to be a force in that world. It goes on to say, put on the whole armor of God that you will be able to withstand the evil one. See, I want to tell you something this morning. When you gave your life to Jesus, there were many blessings that came with that. Amen? But you were also marked as a target for the enemy. A target was painted on you that day because you left his kingdom and you joined the kingdom of God. And he is a sore loser. And so the day you gave your life to Jesus, you became marked by the enemy as his enemy. And Jesus made it very clear, the agenda of the enemy in the book of John. He said the enemy comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. It goes further in scripture and it says that the enemy walks around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Well, church, if I look around right now, I don't see a lion. You know why? It's not in the physical. He doesn't walk around in the physical looking to see whom he may devour. He walks in the spirit. And he causes mayhem in the spirit. And he causes trouble and wars and all these things in the spirit. Because the spirit world is realer than this one. So he walks around in these areas, and then it transcends into our area. And we as the church of Jesus Christ have forgotten that we have an enemy named Satan. We've forgotten. But I tell you what, he hasn't forgotten. He hasn't forgotten. His plan is clear. He's laser focused in what he's doing. And so as he begins to do these things and we begin to wrestle with him, the scripture goes on to say, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. 
Can I tell you something? The church of Jesus Christ spends so much time wrestling in the flesh. We wrestle all day in the flesh. We wrestle all day in the flesh. And the scripture clearly tells us you don't wrestle against flesh and blood. So we are wasting our time all day. All day we are wasting our time wrestling in the flesh. Church, it's not our arena. That's not where we're supposed to wrestle. That's not where we're supposed to toil. We're supposed to toil in the spirit. See, warfare for the church of Jesus Christ happens in the spirit. Satan battles you in the spirit. He battles you in the spirit. It may manifest on, in the flesh, but it happens in the spirit. And he doesn't do it by himself. The scripture says he has principalities, he has powers, he has rulers. What are those? Those are demonic forces that work with Satan to bring mayhem, to bring trouble. How do we know that? We find it in the book of Daniel. Daniel is praying. Daniel's a prophet. And he kneels to pray to God, and he asks God a question. And he stays on his face for 21 days. No answer comes. On the 21st day, an angel taps him. And he looks up and he sees an angel. He said, Daniel, I have the answer that you're asking God for. Imagine getting an answer like that. But he said, I have the answer for you, Daniel. He said, you know why it took so long? I came the first day you prayed. The first day you began to see God, I left heaven with the answer. But I was met with the prince of Persia. You know who the prince of Persia was? It was a demonic force that had territorial authority over Persia. And as Daniel is praying, Daniel has no idea why his prayer is held up. He just keeps pressing. He just keeps pushing. He just keeps pushing and asking and asking and asking because he understands that his warfare is somewhere else. So he keeps pushing and he keeps pushing. And as he does that, God sends Michael the archangel. He said, Michael, go get, take care of this. And Michael goes and backs up the other angel, defeats the prince of Persia, and the angel goes to give Daniel the answer. Can you imagine what would have happened if Daniel stopped praying? We don't know what could have happened. But there was a chance that Daniel was going to forfeit his answer. Can I ask you a question? How many things have you forfeited because you fought in the wrong arena? How many things do we forfeit because we fight in the wrong arena? Or we don't hold on long enough. Come on, church. We don't hold on long enough. We give up, and we don't understand that we're to stand, and having all done to stand, what's the word after? Stand. What's the word right after? You stand. And so it comes to pass. So Daniel pressed in. He had no idea that there was a war going on right above him. But his prayers secured the answer. And child of God, we watch this play out. And we need to remember that we are meant to do warfare with the enemy in the spirit. You know, the church of Jesus Christ has gotten real confused in where we need to be. We're in a million different fleshly arenas. We keep putting on boxing gloves and going into fleshly arenas. We keep looking at things that we have to get involved in. And let me tell you something. We should have a voice. The church should have a voice. We should have a voice in political arenas. We should have a voice in things that are going on. We should have a voice. We have to be a voice. 
We have to be a voice for the unborn child. We have to be a voice for biblical marriage. We have to be a voice for the public schools that have lost their mind. We have to be a voice. We have to be a voice, church. We have to sign petitions, and we have to make our voice clear. And let me tell you something. I'm not interested in us having a politically correct voice. I'm interested in, excuse me, I'm interested in us having a Jesus voice. I'm interested in us speaking the truth in love, but speaking the truth. We need to have a voice. We need to. We need to say wrong is wrong and right is right. We have to. The church can't sit quiet. You know, oftentimes we feel like, oh, it's so bad. I hope somebody does something, like Pastor Ron said. I hope somebody does something. We're it. We're it. If we don't do something, guess what? There's nobody else coming. He's anointed us. He's filled us. He's empowered us. He's given us his authority. He's given us his spirit. We're it. We're it. But church, our voice in the fleshly arena cannot be greater than our presence in the spiritual arena. Did you hear me? Our voice in the fleshly arena cannot be greater than our presence in the spiritual arena. We can sign a million petitions, or we can get on our face and begin to take authority the way God has taught us to and begin to pray for these things and begin to cry out to God for these things. Now, you can look at the world around you, and it is a terrifying place. Some of us don't even watch the news anymore because we don't want to hear it. We'd rather walk. I see nodding heads all over the place. We'd rather walk and just say, you know what? Ignorance is bliss. I don't want to know. It's too much. But if we look at some of the things that are going on around us, 27 million people, mostly women and children, trapped in sex slavery today, right now. 27 million. It's a fictitious number almost. You're like, 27 million? There are more people in slavery today than at any other time in history. 27 million. 27 million. 100,000 in America alone. Every month there's a new terror attack. Every month. Every time we hear of a catastrophe, everyone's heart jumps. I says, oh my goodness. 2015 was the worst year in history for the persecution of the Church of Jesus Christ. Did you know that? 2015. More Christians were persecuted in 2015 than at any other time in history. And you look at these huge issues. Say, so what do we do? What do we do? Do I put our head in the sand? How many petitions could I possibly sign? Or I can get on my face and begin to pray for these issues. And begin to lift them up. Start praying things like, Lord, if anyone has a terror attack against us, Diffuse it in Jesus' name. Lord, these girls that are trapped, God, send the police to where they are, God. Give them what. That's how we begin to pray, church. That's how we begin to war. Hillsong Church just had a conference I had the ability to go to. And one of their women there runs a, a sex trafficking safety house. And she said, since the refugee issue has started, hundreds of thousands of girls have gone missing because nobody knows who they are. 
They don't have names. They don't have social security numbers. They're refugees. So nobody's looking for them. So the church became overwhelmed. They said, what do we do? What do we do? They've opened up. They've done everything in the physical to do. So at 12 o'clock, all of their churches all around the world began to pray for this one issue. Together, concentrated. All their phones go off at 12 o'clock, and everyone prays for this one issue. From November until now, 100 girls have been rescued. 100 girls have been rescued. And you say, well, just 100 girls. Let me explain something to you. Most organizations don't rescue 100 girls in a lifetime, let alone less than a year. And you can call a coincidence if you want. I truly believe it's the power of prayer. That's how we fight, church. And let me tell you, you can look at these big things and say, oh, well, those are big issues. But this even comes down to your world. It comes down to your coworkers. It comes down to the people in your family. You're not meant to fight them. You're not meant to wrestle with them. Your coworker's not your enemy, even though you feel like it sometimes. Your husband that you want to kill in his sleep, but that's not your enemy. That's not your enemy. And the Bible says that Satan is the angel of light. So he's deceitful. And he looks charming. And what he does is he plays us, church. He plays us. He starts manipulating us into thinking we're each other's enemy. And your coworkers are your enemy. And your family's your enemy. And that church member's your enemy. Hello? And all these other people become your enemy. And so you run around fighting in all these fleshly arenas. And because Satan has us all topsy-turvy, he gets a beach chair. He sits down. He puts his feet up. He's got a nice cool drink in his hand. And he watches us be a mess. You know why? Because as long as we're fighting each other, we will never fight him. As long as we're interfighting, as long as we're taking on people, he gets to chill, relax. Nobody's messing with him. But if the church of Jesus Christ would begin to realize that we are meant to be a force to be reckoned with, we're meant to be a force to be reckoned with, and we would stop fighting in all these fleshly arenas, and we would take all our energy and all our focus and all our tenacity and focus it on our one true enemy, which is Satan. Focus it with all our hearts and all our minds. We as the church would look different. We as the church would look different. We would begin to really do the business of the kingdom. We would begin to take back strongholds and begin to move principalities and all these issues back. I need you to understand this morning when we're talking about warfare. I love how Christine Kane says this. She says, we don't fight for freedom or for victory. We don't fight for victory. We fight from victory. Let me say that again. We don't fight for victory. We fight from victory. You see, church, this is a done deal. This is a done deal. The battle has already been fought. Jesus did it. Jesus came, he died on the cross, he defeated Satan. The Bible says that he made a public spectacle of Satan. He took away his authority, 
They took the keys of hell from him. You are defeated. And then he said to his church, now I've won all this for you. I've won it all for you. I've drawn all the lines in the sand that you need. Here's the line in the sand for your health. Here's the line in the sand for your child. Here's the line in the sand for your future. Here's the line in the sand for your fight. Here are all the lines. I've done the work. Here's the line in the sand for your freedom. Sin can't hold you. Bondage can't hold you. He draws all these lines and he tells you and I, I've done the work. The victory is yours. Now occupy until I come. Now do the work of keeping Satan out of the line. What does that mean? Satan, Satan is a kid. He's not listening. God drew the line and he keeps putting his foot over. He keeps putting his foot over. You know what we do? We back up. We back up and we're like, just, just take that, okay? Just that. Just, just that. And we timidly walk back and allow him to take ground and ground and ground and ground. Kick him out, church. The second he puts his foot over, kick his foot back. Move his foot back. Can I tell you something? There is no reason to be polite or respectful to the enemy. He is not polite and respectful to you. He starts walking into your home to take your peace, to take your joy, to take your child. Hello? Kick him out. Say, get out, Satan. Get out. You have no place in my home, in my marriage, in my church, in my nation. You have no place. Get out. Jesus already beat you up. He already did the work. And by the way, the Holy Spirit is in me. You need to move back. You need to move back. I'm a child of the Most High God. Move back. Take your authority as a child of God and push him back. Push him back. Don't allow him to take from you. Don't allow him to take from you. And if we would stop fighting in all these different arenas, the snake that is truly fighting us is revealed. And we fight him. And we fight him together. And we fight him clear. Your health starts failing you. Say, whoa, whoa. By his stripes, I'm healed and made whole. By his stripes, I'm healed and made whole. Your child starts losing their mind. Say, Lord, I thank you, Lord, that once saved in the household, the whole household is saved. They're part of my household. You begin to take the authority that God gave you in the spirit. And let me tell you something. Just because you war in the spirit doesn't mean the result comes overnight. But it happens in the spirit and you hold on until it manifests in the flesh. How long do you hold on? I don't know. You know, until when? Until it happens. You hold on until it happens. Five years, ten, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. His word is true. And so now that we've begun to understand the purpose and the plan, we can begin to look at the positioning. We can begin to look at the positioning. The first piece that God brings out is very interesting. Because I would think, as I'm looking at the armor of God, he would bring out the sword first. Because it looks powerful. Or the shield. But he brings out the belt. And he starts with the belt of truth. And let me tell you something. God is very intentional about what's in scripture. He's intentional. It's not just the lapse of judgment that is the belt first. 
because the belt holds everything together. If some of you aren't wearing a belt today, it would be a very embarrassing morning. The belt holds everything together. And so God called it the belt of truth. The belt of truth. Why? Because, church, if we don't have truth, we cannot fight at all. If we don't have truth, we cannot fight at all. At all. It's like putting a blindfold on you and telling you to hit something. You're just hitting every direction because you don't know what truth is. But what truth does is it brings everything together and it makes it laser clear in what you're fighting. It helps you to understand what truth is. It helps you to understand what God is. It helps you to understand what the Word says. But there is this saying that I've been hearing in this generation a lot. You watch it on TV. You hear it in the news all the time. You hear it in interviews. And it says something like this. She's just living her truth. He's just living his truth. How many have heard that? Right? And it sounds harmless. It sounds harmless, but remember, Satan is an angel of light. It's an angel of light. It's deceptive. Because if I have a truth, and Alana has a truth, and they are contrary to one another, what's the truth? We can't both be true. Something's a lie. So I can't live my truth, and you live your truth, and we live our truth. There has to be one truth. And that one truth has to be bigger than human beings. It has to be bigger than us. Because we are limited. And so that one truth, I have to tell you this morning, and I want to make it real clear, it stands right here. This is the one truth. It is unchangeable, incorruptible, living, breathing, powerful. It is the one truth. And it doesn't need to evolve. It doesn't need to change. It doesn't need to be altered. It is complete in itself. It is the one truth. This is the truth. And this is our standard. So what does that mean? It's very simple. I, as a child of God, take everything that I am, everything I think, everything I feel, everything I dream, everything that I have, and I submit it to this truth. I submit it to this truth. What does that mean? If I have a thought or a theory or a belief or a feeling that is contrary to this word, guess what changes? The word's not going to change. I change. I change. I alter. I submit my life to the truth of this word. I submit my heart to the truth of this word. I submit my emotions to the truth of this word. I submit my affections to the truth of this word. I submit everything that I am to the truth of this word. And you might say, well, you know, there are things in my heart, things that I feel, that I, I don't have the strength to submit to the word of God. That's okay. That's an honest statement. This is what I'm going to tell you. Because we are spirit... There is someone called the Holy Spirit. And that Holy Spirit, he comes alongside of us. And he helps us do the thing that we cannot in ourselves do. He empowers us. He equips us. He anoints us to do the thing that in our flesh we can't do. I've had husbands say to me, I cannot go home to my wife. I'm so angry at her. I can't forgive her. I said, would you allow the Holy Spirit to meet you? 
Will you allow the Holy Spirit to meet you? And they surrender to the Holy Spirit. That's it. That father's home right now. Because the Holy Spirit helped him do the thing that he and his flesh couldn't do. So if there are areas in your heart that you can't submit to the truth of God's word, that's okay. You cry out to the Holy Spirit. Say, my flesh is weak. I can't do it. But I'm willing to submit to your spirit and allow your spirit to empower me, anoint me to do the thing I can't do. See, so I, I don't, listen, one of my favorite sermons I heard in 1991 by Denny Duran, it was entitled, God Loves the Word Impossible. God loves, we you know what that means? The thing it is impossible for me to do, God shows himself strong right there. The thing I can't do, the thing that I, I can't, God shows up right there if we'll trust him. If we'll lean on him, he will help you do the impossible. That's who God is. And so that belt of truth comes on it. And so as we're beginning to learn truth, there are three things I want to tell you quickly that help us understand how to fight properly. The first thing that truth does for us is it helps us understand who God is. And you say, well, I understand who God is. Hmm. There are parts of God that we are limited in our understanding. You see, what I want to tell you today is whatever your circumstances, there's a name for God for it. If you are sick today, he's a healer. If you need deliverance, he's a deliverer. If you need courage today, he's the line of the tribe of Judah. If you need peace today, he's the prince of peace. So whatever your circumstance is, there is a name for God for it. And if there's no name, he's simply I am. Present God faithful. It's simple. And when you begin to understand who God is, let me tell you something. You fight different. You fight different. But if you don't understand who God is, you go in a boxing ring timid, scared, because you don't know who has your back. But when you understand that God walks beside you, that God has gone before you, and it really it's God doing the work through you, you walk a little differently. My first crusade in Africa in, 19, in 2006, I want to say, was the first crusade we ever did on the mission field. And it was the first crusade that Moshi Tanzania ever saw for children. We got together with the missionaries. They said, we can try it. We don't know what, you know, kids have never responded to this. We don't know. An advertisement in these parts of town is someone on a bicycle with the blowhorn driving through the town telling the kids there's an event. So it was a Saturday. And I was so excited because we had gotten food for the kids because a lot of the kids in the area are very poor. So we had food for them. We had a sound system that we were able to run. And I was just believing God for a lot of kids. The missionary comes over to me and she says, listen, you really need to pray that the power doesn't go out. And if you've ever been to Africa, certain parts, power shortages are constant. She said, you really have to pray that the power doesn't go out. She said, because if the power goes out, it's a weekend. If it goes out during the week, the government offices will really fight to get it back on. But on the weekend, nobody's working. Nobody's going to fight to put it back on. We're not going to have power the entire time. Thank you, Jay. Is he good? That's okay. You can give it to me. He's hearing my voice rip up. Thank you. Um, if the power goes off, no one's going to fight to put it back on, and we won't have power for the whole event. So I was like, okay. Well, we began to pray. Ten minutes before, she goes, and you, you probably only end up with ten kids anyway, because we've never done this before. 500 kids. 
500 kids. I had a team of five. That means 100 kids per worker. All those VBS numbers go out the window, okay? 500 kids. 10 minutes to start, I am pumped beyond any measure. I'm like, let's do this. Five minutes before we start, what happens? Power goes out. Power goes out. It sparks and everything goes out. And the whole team begins to look around. Everyone's beginning to panic. They say, okay, let's, let's do the food first. And I was keeping the food till the end so the kids would stay. So let's do the food first. Let's do this. And I'm watching everyone around. I said, whoa, whoa, can I ask what everyone's doing? They said, we're going to plan B. I said, I'm all about plan B. But we have not exhausted plan A. They're like, okay. I said, the king of kings and the lord of lords is here. The God who orchestrated this crusade and brought out 500 kids is here. When you guys told me we were going to have 10. So we have not exhausted that first. Everybody grab an outlet. Everyone spread up. You have pictures. The team all over the sound systems, the refrigerators, on the outlets, all praying. And we began to pray in the spirit. Three seconds. It charged back on everything, full power across the thing. We had a kid's crusade for six hours. Six hours. 500 children gave their lives to the Lord. What does that mean? It means I knew who was walking with me. I knew who had my back. And when you know God and you have the truth of who God is, you understand that he's faithful, you understand that he's good, you understand that he's sovereign, you walk different. So the first truth is who God is. The second truth is who you become now that you're his child. And let me tell you something, that's the first thing the enemy tries to take from you is your identity in Christ. Because if you don't know who you are in Christ, you will never stand courageously. You will never stand confidently. You will let, let your insecurities and the things that you feel are wrong with you disqualify you. Jesus has qualified you. Jesus has made you righteous. Jesus has chosen to love you. Jesus chose to die for you. And he's called you his daughter, his son. Now live like it. Live like it. We're not worthy of his grace, but we have it. We're not worthy of his righteousness, but we have it. So now begin to live like it. Begin to live as a child of God. Know who you are in Christ. Know who you are, son, daughter. Know who you are. Think about your child on their worst day. Worst day when you want to drop them off in my office with a note saying, sorry, I tried my best. On your worst day, I have watched mothers, their children have just basically set the house on fire. Just about. Go to your room, I don't want to look at you. Mom, I'm hungry, you want a sandwich? Oh, I just thought you sent them to their room forever. Yeah, but they're hungry. Why? Because you have a parent's heart. You have a parent's heart. You on your worst day, on your worst day, the Lord loves you the same. It doesn't shift. It doesn't alter. And you need to begin to live that way. You need to begin to live with no fear, child of God. Can I tell you? If you live with any fear in your life, you don't understand the love of God for you. You know how I know that? It's easy. The scripture says perfect love casts out all fear. So you don't understand that you are perfectly loved by the most high God. 
And so begin to do research. Begin to look in Scripture. Who am I in Christ now? What is my identity in Jesus? You will fight differently. You will fight differently. And finally, we know who God is. We know who we are now in him. We now know how to live. This is the blueprint of how we move forward. That's the belt of truth that comes around us. This is where we start putting on the armor. We start with truth. Who he is, who we are, and how we now must live. Child of God, I'm going to challenge you. Stop fighting in the wrong arena. Stop fighting in the wrong arena. Your enemy is clear. His goal is clear. But you fight from victory, not for victory. You bow your heads this morning. Hallelujah. Would you stand with me this morning? Hallelujah. As Pastor Rick comes. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Just close your eyes for a minute. Allow the word begin to just minister to you right now. God is so good, church. And he desires today to solidify his word in our hearts. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood, church. And maybe today you've been fighting in the wrong arena and you recognize it. Today, set your heart. I'm not fighting there anymore. I'm fighting in the arena that I'm supposed to be fighting in. And I'm going to start walking with truth of who God is, who I am, because I'm his child now, and how I'm going to live. Maybe your struggle today is you don't know how to submit everything that you are under the word of God. Right now, begin to ask the Holy Spirit. Say, would you help me? Help me submit everything under your care today, God. I'm going to open the altars right now. It's a real simple altar today. If you've been fighting in the wrong arena, but you're ready to fight in the right arena, we're going to start warfare right here today. And you're going to begin to take back ground that's been taken from you. You say, I'm going to begin to take it back. I've let the enemy have too much ground in my life, too much ground in my family, too much ground in my marriage, too much ground in my health. I'm going to take my energy and I'm going to take my focus and my tenacity and I'm going to evoke it properly. I'm going to ask you to come forward and just make an altar right here and say, now I'm going to begin to do warfare right now. I'm going to begin to change the focus correctly.
Hallelujah. Hallelujah. As people are coming right now, I'm going to challenge you one more thing. If you've allowed lies to fill your heart and your head today, but you're understanding that you need to walk in truth, I want you to walk forward because I believe the enemy's going to break that chain. He's going to break that lie this morning. So if you'll come forward in faith and say, you know what, I want this broken from my life from this point. I want to walk in freedom. I want you to come forward. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, God. Hallelujah. Jesus, Jesus. Jesus, Jesus. Hallelujah. 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 We're going to wait because God is calling. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, God. Hallelujah. 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 Thank you, God. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. 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 Those that are still in your pews today, the worship team is going to lead us. And let's just lift our hands today unto the Lord. And let's just begin to worship Jesus. Let's make this place filled with his presence. The Bible says he inherits the praises of his people. Let him give him a place today that he can inhabit in the midst. And allow God to meet you exactly where you are this morning. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. 